You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Psalms. Why do you worry about all of these things? If he's going to take care of the flowers and clothe them in such beauty and splendor, the likes of which even Solomon, as wealthy as he was, was never clothed, how much more will he take care of you? Whatever you need, he will provide. If it doesn't get provided, well, maybe it wasn't needed. Do you feel overcome with anxiety and are worried about how God will provide? As you listen to today's message from Pastor J.D., he reminds you that you are precious to God and God will take care of you. If God is faithful to provide for the flowers and the birds, He's even more trustworthy to provide for you. You can place all your trust in Him. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Psalms chapter 147 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. All right. Well, Psalm 147. Let's jump in. Verse 1. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant, and praise is beautiful. The Lord, verse 2, builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. I was thinking about verses 2 and 3 today as it relates to the Gospels and how it is that Jesus was always attracted to the outcast and the downcast, the brokenhearted. And in fact, the harshest words that ever were spoken from the lips of the Savior were reserved for the religious leaders of the day. Yet you find him in the Gospels attracted to the down and the out, the outcasts of society. In fact, he came under harsh criticism from those very religious leaders for even the idea that he would even talk to a prostitute or somebody that had a reputation And he would even eat with them. And you have to understand, in that culture, in that day, that was unthinkable. This is something that is lost in our day in the Middle East culture. Everything is centered around food. And we see this whenever we partake together of communion. It's a common union. That's why it is, and please Ladies, don't get upset with me, but you know, when we get to the Proverbs, there's a couple of Proverbs that talk about that it's better to eat a crust of bread on the roof than it is to eat a steak, prime rib, in a house where there's contention, namely a nagging wife. There I said it. (laughs) 
lest you, <laughs> let me hasten to say that there's actually a physiological and even a spiritual component to that. See, in the Middle East, when you would make a covenant or make a deal, you wouldn't sign anything. No, you would have this great big feast. And sometimes that feast would last for days. And that's how you would make an agreement, sign a deal, and agree to a covenant. Remember back in 1993, September 1993, when Yitzhak Rabin and Yasser Arafat, with then President Bill Clinton, on the White House lawn, signed the Oslo Peace Accords. It meant nothing. It was a handshake. Everybody's just like, you know, applauding, and you know, maybe this is now a move towards peace in the Middle East, finally. It means absolutely nothing, especially to the Arab. You know how you make a deal and agree in the Arab culture? You break bread together. Here's the thought in the Middle East, and this is the thought behind the communion table when Jesus is there with the disciples breaking bread. You eat from the same bread. You drink from the same cup. I remember growing up, I would see my dad with my uncles, and they would pass the cup around, drink from the same cup. They would break the bread and pass it around and dip it, and double dip into the same hummus and the same baba ghanoush. And, and the thought is that that bread that is in you is the same bread that is in me. It's a common union. My mom's sisters, my two aunts, this is many years ago, had a feud. And I, I'm going to tell you something, you, you, you haven't seen a family feud until you've seen an Arab family feud. There's one thing about Arabs, they know how to have a family feud. It lasted for seven years. And finally, they came together, and the idea was that we are going to now bring about reconciliation, restoration. And the way they did it was they created this huge feast. They planned it for six months. And that's how the two feuding families came together and brought about a reconciliation. It's all over food. It even goes back further. I hope you don't mind if I take it just a step further. You know, in the Middle East, in a Bedouin culture, this is why the Arabs in particular are so hospitable. You will never meet a more hospitable people than the Arab people. So you live in tents, you travel great distances for long periods of time, and when you come across a tent and someone invites you in and gives you water to drink and food to eat, the idea is you have just saved my life. Now I am loyal unto death. That is the culture in the Middle East, even to this day. When you break bread, in the Middle East with an Arab. This is why, in fact, even the Jews, they would never eat with the Gentile. It would be anathema, because the idea is when you sit down and when you eat together, you are forming a bond. You're forming a bond. And that's why when, well, I, I, that's a whole other sermon for another time. I think you get the point. 
Again, the idea here is, is that Jesus was attracted to the downcast, the outcast, and we know that he's close to the brokenhearted, and he heals the brokenhearted, and he binds up their wounds. Now verse 4, he counts the number of the stars, he calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord, verse 6, lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked down to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praises on the harp to our God who covers the heavens with clouds, who prepares rain for the earth, who makes grass to grow on the mountains. He gives to the beast its food and to the young ravens that cry. I think of in Matthew 6 when Jesus is teaching and talking about worry and anxiety, and He says to them, if God is going to feed the birds of the air and clothe these beautiful flowers that you see here on the hillside, how much more will He feed and clothe you? Why do you worry about all of these things? If He's going to take care of the flowers and clothe them in such beauty and splendor, the likes of which even Solomon, as wealthy as he was, was never clothed, how much more will He take care of you? Whatever you need, He will provide. If it doesn't get provided, well, maybe it wasn't needed. He will provide whatever we need. Our problem is, and we get into trouble when we try to convince the Lord that what we really want is really a need. And the Lord's like, no, that's not a need. In fact, I know you want that, but trust me, you don't need that. That's the last thing you need, and I'm not going to provide it. Verse 10, He does not delight in the strength of the horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. Speaking of the strength, the power of man, not impressed. Verse 11, the Lord takes pleasure. This is what He takes pleasure in. Dare I say, this is even what He's impressed with. Those who fear Him, in those who hope in His mercy. I'm reminded of how astonished, for lack of a better word, Jesus was when He saw the faith that people had. He would stop everything. When this one man had this faith, this great faith, and He points it out, and He says, did you, did you see this? I have not seen such faith. It wasn't even a Jew. I have not seen such faith in all of Israel. When He goes to His hometown where He grew up in Nazareth. So He goes to Nazareth, and we're told that He couldn't do very much there. He was able to do some miracles heal some people, but He couldn't do as much as He wanted to. Why? Because they looked at Him and they said, isn't that Joseph's kid? 
I, I remember him when he was this, this high. No way. The Son of God. And because of their unbelief, he could do nothing. The hands of God's miraculous blessing were tied by the ropes of their unbelief. The Lord is impressed, if I can say it that way. He's pleased by those who fear Him, have faith in Him. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Which means that, let's flip it around to the other side, which sometimes is a very good thing to do with God's Word, is to flip it over onto the other side. So if without faith it's impossible to please God, that means that if I have faith, that it's possible to please God. And I don't think there's a one of us here tonight that does not want to live a life that is pleasing in the sight of the Lord. He takes pleasure in it. Verse 12, Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for He has strengthened the bars of your gates. He has blessed your children within you. He makes peace in your borders and fills you with the finest wheat. He sends out His command to the earth. His word runs very swiftly. He just speaks it. He gives snow like wool. He scatters the frost like ashes. He casts out His hail like morsels. Who can stand before His cold? Not something we're real familiar with here on the islands. He sends out His word, verse 18, and melts them. He causes His wind to blow and the waters to flow. He declares His word to Jacob, His statutes, and His judgments to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any nation. And as for His judgments, they have not known them. Praise the Lord. The psalm starts off the way it ends and ends the way it begins. Okay. Psalm 147 is the second of five final psalms that are known as Hallelujah Psalms, Psalms of Praise. And this psalm speaks to how good it is to praise the Lord. It is good for us to praise the Lord, literally. It's a good thing. It does us good. Can I say it that way? Example, it happened to me, if I could be so candid, again tonight. So one of those weeks, you know how when you have one of those weeks, well I had one of those weeks, and today I'm, I'm just kind of, you know, seeking the Lord and crying out to the Lord, and Lord I'm just, you know, fatigued, exhausted, and uh, really busy. I just got so much, you know, that I'm dealing with that I got. I'm not complaining. Of course, pastors never complain. We don't call it complaining. It's more like lamenting. It sounds more spiritual and sanctified when you say it like that. So I'm just kind of, you know, lamenting and, and, and just pour my heart out to the Lord. Lord, you need to strengthen me. I want to teach your word tonight. I want it to be a blessing and I need you to bless the teaching of your word tonight. So I get here 
And I'm sitting back there with my daughter, and David comes up, first few chords on that guitar, and then all of a sudden you just start praising the Lord. And everything changes. All of a sudden. See, physiological, even neurological, there's a dynamic that takes place. When we sing, we are actually accessing both sides of our brain, the left side and the right side. And if you're anything like me, I need to use as much of what's left up here as I possibly can. Do you know that we were created to worship? And that's why music is so powerful. It's like a drug. I'm sorry that I'm using that as a, a comparison, but it has a, an effect. It can, it can have a calming effect. It can have an uplifting effect as well. And so I'm back there, and, and then I raise my hands. You know, that's a physiological thing too. When you raise your hands above your head, it increases testosterone <laughs> and lowers cortisol, that stress hormone that your body releases when you're stressed. So here's where I'm going with this. When the psalmist says, it is good to praise the Lord, what he's saying is, it's really good for you. You'll feel better. And we're going to again talk more about this in a moment, but not only is it good for us and does us good, it's pleasing to the Lord. And it's beautiful in the sight of the Lord. What do you think we're going to be doing for all eternity? We're going to be worshiping Him. We're going to be worshiping Him. And it's so pleasurable for Him, for His good pleasure. Okay, Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens, as we just had sung together. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you stars of light. Praise Him, you heavens of heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded, and they were created. In other words, He just spoke them into existence. He spoke the word, and they were created. He also, verse 6, established them forever and ever. He made a decree which shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all the depths fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind, fulfilling His word, mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying fowl, kings of the earth, verse 11, and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and maidens, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His glory is above the earth and heaven, and 
he has exalted the horn of his people. The horn speaking of power. The praise of all his saints, of the children of Israel, a people near to him. Praise the Lord. Again, the psalm ends the way it begins. But this is unique. It's an interesting psalm for a couple of reasons, chief of which is its conspicuous absence of any petition, any request whatsoever. G. Campbell Morgan of this wrote, what a wonderful song this is. Look over it again and note the fact that there's no reference in it from first to last to the mercy or pity or compassion of God. And here's why. Interesting. Listen to this. But that is because there is no reference to evil in any form. Think about this. The Psalms, of which there are many, particularly the Psalms that David had penned, the sweet psalmist of Israel, he starts off crying out to the Lord, Lord, how long? Lord, have mercy on me. I, I soak my bed with my tears all night. I cannot sleep. And he goes through this, and I mean, he's crying out. Why? Because of the presence of evil, evildoers, false accusers. Certainly much of what David suffered, he had brought upon himself as the consequence of his sin. But God was merciful to him. You know, when Nathan the prophet confronted him, here's a, about a year where he's trying to cover up his adultery with Bathsheba, and that that was his child. And when he couldn't get Uriah to try to, you know, come back from the battlefield to cover it up, when that plot, that plan, very cunning, didn't work, God wasn't going to let him get away with it. He has him murdered. And when the prophet Nathan presents him with this case to judge, little did David know that he was talking about him. And very interesting, he becomes incensed. And then the prophet Nathan says to him, David, you are that man. And then David just falls on his face and repents and cries out to God against you, Lord, and you alone have I sinned. And then Nathan the prophet says to him, God has forgiven your sin and has put away your sin. And you know what's really interesting about it? Yes, David would suffer the consequences of that sin, but he would never ever again repeat that sin all the days of his life. There's a lot to learn from the book of Psalms, and we're so glad you've joined us to sift through it all with Pastor J.D. Farag on In Spirit and Truth. The range of emotions expressed in the pages we've been studying give us an accurate and beautiful picture of our Heavenly Father, the almighty and loving creator of the world. Before we end our time with you today, we'd like to share how you can access more of these messages right now. Simply visit InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and click on Listen to search through our archive of Pastor J.D.'s teachings. You can even take these messages with you on the go with our mobile app. 
Find a link to our app on our website or search for In Spirit and Truth in your app store. This will provide you with hours of insight into the Bible, helpful links, and access to the latest editions of Pastor J.D.'s Mideast Prophecy Update. In these updates, Pastor J.D. takes a critical look at the news and events happening around the globe and compares them to the prophecies of the Bible, sharing God's views on what's taking place. These messages are new each weekend and will help you put world events into an eternal perspective. These Mideast Prophecy Updates are also available to watch on our YouTube channel, which you can access through our website. Again, that address is inspiritandtruthradio.com. Thanks for taking the time to listen to God's Word today. We pray it's blessed and encouraged you greatly. Pastor J.D. will continue studying through the book of Psalms when you join us next time, right here on In Spirit and Truth.